We are in uh, Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12 is where we are. And uh, we're beginning in verse 3. I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word. Remain standing for prayer following. Romans chapter three, uh, 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in a portion proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. May You establish it and promote it and let it not return void, but let it return to You having done what it set forth that You wanted it to accomplish. Thank You for that. And thank You for the message You have for us this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Please. As you do so, I want you to know that I wrote an entirely different sermon for this on Friday. And this morning I got up and rewrote it completely. This is not the sermon that was going to be called Together. I wrote the sermon called Together. I said I was going to preach this week. And now I've got it postponed till next week because God put this in on my heart and said, we need to talk about this. We need to get this understood so we understand certain things and can embrace truths and things like that that are... To me, they're commonplace. I speak of them often, but you may not have heard them. You may not have heard them explained well. 
That's why it's called Fundamentals. Now, we're, we're in the Church Up series and we've been talking about it as a verb. It's a phrase, hopefully, that's going to become more commonly used, but not yet. Hashtag Church Up is how you can make that happen if you share things at the church and what's going on. Maybe that will catch on. I would like that. We, I would like for us to make it a household word. And today, we're going to learn the practicality of being a Christian, of being a church, and of churching up. So, hashtag church up. I have to tell you, I've long ignored the fundamentals of the faith from this pulpit because I misunderstood our depth of engagement. Sometimes when people speak definitions of things and they're talking about things, one person hears one word this way and it means this. Another person hears this word another way and it means that. And you think you're speaking the same language, but your terminology is different. So, I'm going back to the fundamentals to give us a basic framework so you understand what I'm thinking when I talk about these things. Now, I believe we're not all entirely engrossed in the study of Jesus and God's Word and learning to be more like Jesus. We can't if we don't know fundamentals of the faith. Don't know how to live out the faith. And when our lives show differently, it's because we haven't been spending time with Jesus. It's real clear in Scripture that they'll know we are Christians by our love. One of the things I've learned also, as pastors, we make a lot of assumptions. It's not good. Because those assumptions begin to say that you should already know or you should already be doing these things. I shouldn't have to say these things. And then nobody knows what anybody's talking about or what they're doing because we're not on the same page. But I, I want to share a couple of things with you before I get to the core aspects of the faith. And, and this is heavy on my heart today. And I, I believe that you need to hear it from the pulpit. Some of us in this room and in our community have been hurt by churches. Some have been hurt by other believers. Some have been hurt by pastors. It's true. Now, I can't tell you that I know why those things happen. But what I can do this morning is to apologize for those who haven't. Either because they're not able, not allowed, or they're not here to do so. And I'm sorry for the hurt that has happened through those aspects of life. Churches, other believers, and pastors. And I do pray that in your heart, whether that's happened or not in your life, you find room to forgive and help grow forward in those areas of life where people have been hurt like that. It's true that this church has become a church for those who gave up on church. Did you know that? Did you know that there are people who have not set foot in church for many, many years here who are attending faithfully? Not just a couple of years. 25 for some and 40 years for others. 40 years of not trusting church. And now people are here worshiping and have found a home here because we have welcomed them as family. That's important to me. That makes a difference. 
And so what we have in our midst now are folks who've been in church for a long time and folks who've been in church for just a short time. And so the fundamentals, everybody needs to know what they are, whether it's a a review or a first time hearing it. And why are people out of church finally coming back? Because they believe that they are loved here and find Jesus here. And some even have been saved in this very room in recent months. Praise God. Praise God for that. God is at work here. And if you wonder if God's still working, look around and you'll see that He is. He really is. But the fundamentals of faith, I want to share some with you. And Scripture says we must adhere to these. I I look at it like this, that the Ten Commandments aren't laws, They're what you do when you belong to God. They're just checkpoints. Am I loving God? Am I serving Him? Do I have any other God before Him? Am I trying to steal, covet, or murder? Am I trying to take God's name in vain? These things I probably wouldn't do if Jesus is inside me, right? So the Ten Commandments, to me, are a way of saying, am I obedient? And here's ten ways I can check. Now, those are... Of course, Old Testament things that are based on the Word of God given to Moses. And then Jesus comes along and begins to talk about God as a God of love. And it's really hard to put love as a commandment. But Jesus did. He said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you love one another. Now, what does that look like? Some people don't know the concept of tough love. Some people don't know the concept of loving regardless. Those things are kind of fundamental. And we're going to get to these fundamentals that help us to live out the life of love that God has asked us to live. That His Holy Spirit in us enables us to live. Empowers us. And all these fundamentals are in Romans chapter 12 and other places in Scripture are other fundamentals including the backups of these and confirmation. So it's not just... I'm taking something out of context. It's throughout Scripture where these are all found. So we're going to look at seven. They're foundational, fundamental aspects of living a life of faith of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said earlier before, if you need more, want to hear more about each of these seven, or to go in further fundamentals, please Mention that to me. I'd like to know more about this or that. And I'd be glad to begin to dive deeper into those in coming weeks with you. Because if one person needs it, I'm sure another does as well. But let's start in Romans 12 with the first one. And it's in verse 3 where he says, to everyone who is among you, not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a member, a measure, excuse me, of faith. Right thinking. Now, we sometimes think about our life with Christ and we need to have the mind of Christ, that we need to renew our mind to be transformed. In Romans 12, the first two verses says that we're renewed by the transformation of our mind. But right thinking. What is right thinking when we come to Jesus Christ? It's quite simply to not think more of yourself than what you are or less of yourself than who you are in Christ. 
and the same for others around you. To have the proper awareness, understanding that we are all on a level playing field. You and I are on the same playing field. You say, but you're the preacher. I'm still a person striving after the heart of God like you. It doesn't make me more or less. It just means I have a title that says I've had some training and experience in helping others develop that. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me closer to God. I've had a lot of folks uh, here in in this congregation I believe are closer to God than I will ever be because they spent a lot more time with Him. But you know what? That's not about comparison. It's about knowing that we all need Jesus, that we all hurt, that we all struggle, and we all need grace and compassion. And not just people here, but in the world around us. We all need that. And so we don't have a whole lot of room in right thinking to look at someone as better or worse than us. As Ephesians says, to esteem one another as higher than ourselves. So we're always lifting others up rather than trying to pull them down or lift ourselves up. Why do we do this though? Why do we think that this kind of way of looking at our lives is proper and godly? It says, because God has dealt to each person a measure of faith. And and when you read that in that third verse where it says, think soberly and you got a measure of faith and therefore that's why you think this way, it, it almost sounds like a jump, doesn't it? Amen. Like how, right thinking, I've got faith. How are the two the same? How are they connected, right? What does faith tell us? Faith tells us that I belong to God through the grace of Jesus Christ through the sacrificial death on Calvary and His resurrection, gives me hope and the promise that I belong. That's through faith. That isn't something I've done, says Ephesians, uh, lest I would boast. It's not my works, but God's work on the cross that says I'm welcome in His family, as are you. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, if I'm thinking I deserve to be here and they don't, then it's not on faith but on works and what I see other people doing or not doing, saying or not saying, acting like or not acting like. And I have no room to do that because we're all brought in by faith and grace. Not what we do or do not do. I promise you, each one of us was outside the grace and faith of God until Christ came in. Do you understand that? Everybody needs Jesus. And nobody can say I'm better than them because we all need Jesus. Sin is sin. We're all on level playing field. And that's so important. That's right thinking. To think of yourself as you ought to and others in the same way. So if you look down on someone, it means you must look down on yourself as well. That you don't want to do that. But if you see someone and want to lift them up, then you certainly would like to be lifted up yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus embodied it in the Sermon on the Mount. Do unto others as you would wish that they would do for you. Say to others what you wish they would say to you. We talk about praying without ceasing. 
Could you imagine saying something in love in a prayer, right? But what if you're praying without ceasing and you're listening, I gotta stop, God, I gotta say something to this person because you ain't gonna like it. You don't do that, do you? Not in the right thinking, because what you say about the other person is what you want them to say to you. So whatever criticism you offer out is what you want back. This is right thinking. But every praise that you put forward is the praise you pray that one day they might praise back with. Encouragement one to another, says our Scriptures. So that's right thinking. It's a very fundamental thing. So when I talk about having the right mindset or the mind of Christ, that's what that's talking about. The second one is in verse 4. goes on a little further to verse 5. It's about the body. Now, Please understand, I'm not talking about the flesh and blood body. I'm talking about the body of Christ. It says, As we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function. We, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. We are one body in Jesus, right? We're all part of the body of Christ but individually members of each other. Now, that doesn't sound logical. If you're out there and part of the body of Christ and I'm here, how can I be a part of you? Right? You're over there and I'm over here. So, logically, that's what our mind wants to do. I'm not you. You're not me. But in the fact of the matter is, in the body of Christ, what happens to you happens to me. What happens to me happens to you. And you say, but, but if you break your leg, that, that, that doesn't happen to me. Yes, it does. Because you're part of the body and it hinders the whole body when someone hurts. The whole body is slowed down. If you break a finger, you're still going to walk, but you're not going to use that finger. Do you understand? The whole body is affected by that. So it is with the body of Christ that... We don't have the same function. And I'm thankful because you do not want me up here playing keyboard and singing and leading your worship. You don't want me doing that. As a matter of fact, the only time I really super get nervous in church is when I'm going to play a solo on my guitar. I get super nervous. I don't know why. I just do. I can talk all day, but get me with my guitar and start singing and I'm shaking like a leaf. I have no idea why, but I know this. It's not my gifting. I can do it okay, but it's not my gifting. Other people have that function. And thank God they do because that's not the one I'm using or have developed or God put in me as a strong suit. There are other people who are laborious. They like to work behind the scenes, setting things up, tearing it down, making sure it all works, but they don't want anybody to notice that they did it. There are so many people here who work behind the scenes to do things in the name of Jesus in this church and nobody knows it. And they're okay with that. It's just that there's some people who do those things and we need that. Could you imagine if nobody ever went to Sam's Club or the stores and got napkins and paper plates or uh, other things that the church needs? Uh, nobody did it, we wouldn't have it. And people would be going, we don't have this stuff. And nobody got it. So they'd be blaming everybody else because they didn't do it either. 
But guess what? That stuff happens. Somebody does that. And they're not asking for thank you or fame or fortune. They're just a functioning to help the church be efficient at serving. Does this make sense? So, if you have a function, which you do, and you're not effectively doing it in the life of the church, we're all suffering together. And you might say, but I don't do anything for the church. Exactly. We need you to do your part. Whatever God has gifted you with, to share that and bless others. Your gift is not for you. God did not give you your gift in the body to keep it. He gave it to you to give away. Oh, but but I'm not good. It doesn't matter if you're good at it. Once you do it, people will appreciate you and give you more opportunity. This is true. This is true. I know a guy one time who thought he couldn't do anything and his job was set up all the chairs and take them all down at the end of functions. And he thought, hey, I can do that. Didn't know what else he could do. But he wanted to do it and he, and he got so good at it that he knew how he wanted him, what shape he wanted him in to get the most seating and how to get people in and out quicker. And then he got built a team. And they called him the head chairman. The head chairman of the church. And people thought, wow, he must be important. Another person was faithful to bring ice to functions and they called him the ice man cometh. You understand, you don't have to do a lot to make a big difference. It's something somebody else doesn't have to do that they're already overwhelmed with. Those little things make a big difference. And if all 40 of us are doing little things, the big thing's all done. It only takes a five-minute task on each of our parts to do, if you multiply five times 40, that's 200 minutes, that's three, about three and a half hours worth of stuff in five minutes that one person would have to do. Can you imagine? That we can do that. And it's amazing to see. Because when that happens, and I see folks working after events or before events setting up, I go, uh, oh, it's already done. And I just smile when the body works efficiently. We all have a function and a part. And when it, it gets filled, and you do have a part, you may not believe that, you may not receive that, you may not know what it is, but you do. Back to verse 3. We all have a measure of faith, which also is a measure of the gifting. Which we're going to get to now is the third one, the different gifts. There are a lot of gifts talked about in Scripture. A lot of them. There's only a few mentioned here in 12. And it says, these are given according to grace. God graces us with the gifts that we have. And it says in verse 6, let us use them. That's that's that. That's the Scripture. Let us use the gifts God's given us by His grace. We all have something we can do. If it's prophecy, says uh, Paul, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. In other words, if you only believe a little, don't go big. Come as you are. Talk as you are. Share as you are on the level of faith that you have. If you don't believe God for big things, talk about the things you do believe Him for. Like the blind man who was healed. He says, 
I don't know whether or not He's Messiah or King or broke the law. All I know is I once was blind and now I see. That's His level of faith. I once was blind, but now I see. That's His level of faith. That's all He's got to say. If your level of faith is, I'm still struggling and searching, but I believe Jesus can do it, that's your level of faith. Share it at that level. If He's done more for you, share that. If you're looking for hope and answers, share that. Because others will encourage and help you along that journey. So he says in ministry, let's use it to our ministry. If you teach, teach. Some people have that gift. Some of us are encouragers in exhorting one another. Whoever gives, give generously. Do you know, and this surprised me a few years ago I read, that there are some people who love to give. I mean financially. They just love it. They love to see their investment in the kingdom of God bring more people into the kingdom of God. And they get joy out of that. And I've found people who even have trouble giving at all. And then there are others who find delight in that. They're, They're great to have. Because it means they're invested in the kingdom of God. They're invested in the life of others. And they so desire to put their money literally where their mouth is. Those folks are great to have around because they help everything else function. And that's what they're good at. Some people are just good at that. But that's what is needed if that's what they're good at. Whoever leads to do so with diligence, that means faithfulness, to not walk out when it's time to lead, to give up, to quit, to say someone else needs to do this, but rather just lead and be faithful. Whoever's merciful, if your gift is to show mercy to someone, to do it cheerfully. You ever heard, you know, I know you have, of someone giving mercy without cheer? Alright, it's fine. I forgive you, just don't do it again. You ever heard that? Will you forgive me please? Yes. And I'm not happy about it. That's not cheerful. If someone says, will you please forgive me? I did this to a neighbor one time. I messed up. I've done this before. I've messed up before. You all know that. Because you all have. And I wrote a letter to my neighbor after I'd moved away and asked for forgiveness. I got a letter back. And it said, it breaks my heart to think you've been holding this, this against yourself and thinking it kept you from God because you weren't forgiven for it by me. So, please, you were already forgiven when it happened. Just enjoy the forgiveness and celebrate the grace of God. How about that for a cheerful forgiver? Mercy would cheer. Oh, goodness. It's, it's like, why are you happy? I'm not happy about it. I'm, we're restored. I'm not happy about what happened. I'm happy that we're together again. That you're reunited in hope. What do you think happens in heaven when one sinner repents? Do you remember what it says in Scripture? All the angels rejoice. There's a party in heaven. Not because they're happy that you got what you deserved, but they're happy that you received the grace that was for you and you asked for the forgiveness and received it. And God was delighted, along with all heaven, to say, welcome home. We're restored. Wow. Wouldn't that be great? That's a gift we need as someone who's merciful with cheer. Forgiving with a glad heart because they're in the business, if you will, for the kingdom of restoration. 
Those are some of the gifts. There are others we won't get to at this point. But the fourth fundamental is loving others. You know, it surprises me that that I put this on the list as a fundamental because as a pastor, I'm thinking, well, God is love. The Bible talks about love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, perfect love cast out all these verses about love. And I'm thinking, so why would I even have to encourage or share with people that this is a fundamental? But the fact of the matter is, folks don't know what this looks like. And I thought they, they should. They should because it's in the Bible. But if we don't spend time seeking out, how do I love others better? We'll never know. And so he says, to love without hypocrisy. Well, I'm loving you and I'm not being hypocritical about it. That's not what that means. Hypocrisy in love would be when you love someone who is like you, but refuse to love someone not like you. Because they're not like you. They're sinful. They're ungodly. I can't love that person. Truth of the matter is, that's hypocrisy because you are like that person. One of the most difficult things that is hard for a body of believers to grasp is we're all one in this together. We're all members of one of each other. That if I don't love you healthfully, then you will see that I probably don't love others healthfully. I'm not encouraging you, and I might not be encouraging others, and all of a sudden there's this understanding that maybe there's not really love there. But you can say the word, but do you do the deed? Scripture says, let us love in both, both word and action, or word and deed. A lot of people say the word, but do they back it up? Do they show love in tangible ways? There's a lot of folks here who really do good at love. Love is not a gift, though. Love is a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we choose not to love, we're blocking the flow of Jesus in our life and His power. Churches that don't love well don't show forth miraculous works of God. The Holy Spirit isn't active in those kind of churches. So loving others, he says, without hypocrisy, hate what's evil and cling to what's good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to another. Kindly affectionate. I love. It's like two words that mean the same thing. Or affectionately kind. You know, they're the two adverbs or adjectives that describe love in action. It's affectionate, but do so with the heart that says, I care about you. And it's really, really hard to spend that kind of love in your life if you don't know your love too. It's really difficult to extend love to someone when all you feel is rejection. Unless you've come to the point where love has transformed you and you know it can transform others. Because God's love says that you are accepted. You belong. And God's love says, the way I love you, I instill that so you can love others with the same mindset you were. How many folks do you know in your life that have gone through similar situations as you? God will bring them to your path and you will 
cross paths with those folks if you say, God, show me someone I can love the way you love me. And their stories will start to line up with yours. And you say, you know, I felt that way too. And I know how you feel. And what I found is that Jesus Christ found me in that and loved me to that and this is what He did for me. And when you tell that testimony simply like that, feel, felt, found is what we call it in sales, but in terms of loving one another, it's understanding how they feel because you felt the same way and you found an answer. And what worked for me is this. That is a testimony of faith because it happened to you. Not something you wanted to happen. It did happen. The folks who in this church have been out of church for so long don't say, you know, I'd really like to find a church. When they're talking to someone who is given up on church for years, rather they say, you know, I know how you feel. I felt the same way, but what I found is a church that loves me, who accepts me and wants me there and doesn't judge me, but rather keeps me in their heart in prayer and kindness. This is a testimony of faith of where you're at. And if you found restoration from Jesus Christ and someone else is struggling with a similar battle because you've asked God to bring that person to your life, you can say, I know how you feel. I felt that way too for years. I know that cold wind that blows through you and the darkness inside when you feel so alone that nobody cares. But I found that it doesn't have to stay that way. And this is what God did for me. Do you understand? That's how you love others. There are people that you have differences of opinion with. It's a nice way to say you've had past history that isn't good. Do not try to change them. Let someone else love them and have conversations with them because otherwise you're going to bring up some of those resentments rather than being the one with forgiveness of fear. Does that make sense? So loving someone where they are, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in their tribulation and yours, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. That's really good. That's really good. In verse 18, he talks about peace. He says, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. It doesn't say all believers, it says all. Not just those in the church, but those who could be. Live at peace with them. Now, the, the fundamental of peace doesn't mean lack of war. That means there's just no active hostility. <laughs> that is not peace. In this world, we, we say, I pray for world peace. What we're thinking is no nation be at war. That is not peace. That's lack of war. Peace is a fundamental understanding that you're welcome in each other's presence at any time in their country or their neighborhood without fear of retaliation, but rather being accepted and embraced and welcomed with open arms. That's peace. That you're wanted there anytime you set foot there. That's a fundamental of peace. Now, could you imagine 
taking headlines from the last umpteen thousand years that the uh, Muslim world and the Jewish world would welcome each other into each other's space with open arms without fear of retaliation, judgment, or taking, or jealousy, or envy. Do you think that would be a miracle? That would be a miracle. So if you're praying for world peace, pray for that kind of peace. Not pray they're not fighting. But rather there would be a radical change of heart by God. And in so doing, you need to know that that's possible with you and everybody else you come into contact with that you can have a radical change of heart and seeking to have peace where they're welcome in your life and you're welcome in theirs. And if the relationships are so shattered and scattered, then let someone else mediate that peace. This is the fundamental of peace. But I promise you there are many believers who hold grudges and resentments toward people and won't get over it. It is not love and it's also not a fundamental behavior of a Christian. There are people who are angry still at believers who have been deceased, who are no longer um, willing to associate with them, uh, with pastors and things like that. Um, You name it. But of the body of Christ and they do not know how to make peace. Why? No one ever said that they knew how or what the steps were. So in the future, if you want to know how peace comes about like that, we can talk about it. But it's a fundamental part of being a body of Christ, a believer. Oh, then number six, you'd think this would come right after peace, would be revenge. wonder how Paul's mind thinks, right? Pursue peace without revenge. Well, it says, do not avenge yourselves. Give wrath its proper place. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. <laughs> oh, this, this is tricky in a good way. I had a, a man who um, was supposed to buy a piece of equipment from me. And he said, alright. And I said, once you paid for it, you may take it home. But not until you do. Next day I came home and the item was gone from my carport. And I was angry. And I went to him and I said, Hey, where's my item? He said, Oh, you said I could have it. I said, No, I didn't. I said, You could buy it, not have it. And so he avoided contact with me for months on end. And finally, I said, God, this is an injustice. I should be upset. He never paid me a dime. This is an injustice done to me by this man. God, what do I need to do? And God said, well, you can sue him. You can go back and he'd chain it up in his property. You can go on you know, with a bolt cutter, go get it if you want to do that, or you can let me take care of it. I said, what do you mean? He said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I said, what are you going to pay him for? I'm the one who got in trouble. He says, no, no. You don't understand. This is how God works. When God pays you back, He pays it out of His resources, not out of someone else's. And so if you want 5% of that person's income, or would you rather have 5% of all God's got? Who do you want to pay you back? 
The person that did it or God. God's not going to be hurt by paying you back. He's got plenty. He can make more. You know what I'm saying? So who do you want to take care of the loss? The person that's only going to give you what you had back, now used, had it broken, probably damaged. Or would you rather have God repay you with His supplies? You know what I said? I said, God, you got to show me. That's what I said. It's yours. Go sick him. He said, I'm not going to sick him. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to leave him alone and bless you. Really? Yeah. And believe it or not, it was a pastor that done that. And it, shortly after that, his church started declining. But all of a sudden, I had a windfall come in. I don't know how it got there, but all of a sudden I had more than I needed for certain situations. I mow my lawn, take care of other things. I'm, Where'd this come from? God said, I'm just paying you back. They said, God, please don't dwindle His church. Don't dwindle His church. Don't do that. Those people need you. And, uh, and I went back to His church and said, God, don't hold this to His charge. Why? Because peace does that. Revenge from God's perspective, is if He takes care of it, all you got to do is love. And that, that doesn't coincide real well with our court system. Everybody's on litigation all the time. I get like three a week. Hey, would you like to sue this one? If you ever had this problem, just sign up here. That's revenge. But if God's going to repay for your brokenness, He does it through the cross and does it completely. Because our, our problem was a sin problem and God took it out of the way with the cross. So you think He couldn't handle something else a little smaller? <laughs> sure He could. So He says, therefore, if you're seeking revenge and your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you're going to heap coals of fire on his head. But, but I'm losing my food and my drink. But you wanted revenge? Now he's feeling guilty. Now he's under conviction. Why are you doing that to me? Why are, you, why are you helping me? They'll be tormented. That person will be tormented because you love them. Because when someone doesn't understand love and someone offers them genuine love, they question the motive. And when you love without regard to person, place, or thing, but love because God's put it in your heart, there is no question in your heart that you did it because God put it there. And so when you do that for someone who has hurt you or harmed you and you pour grace and love on them, they look at you like something's wrong with you. And all you're doing is saying, no, there's something wrong with your loving part because you don't love back. And I'm loving you with all the love God gives me. And I'm going to keep doing it until you see love makes a difference. And then when you love me, you won't take my stuff. <laughs> and you won't want my stuff. And you'll live in peace with me meaning we're both welcome in each other's lives again. Makes sense. But that kind of revenge is long-term, takes a while. God's not always quick. But that's okay. He does it at the right time. And the last one is, verse 21, overcoming. Fundamentals of overcoming. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot of passages that talk about overcoming lives, overcomers. When we want to overcome something in Jesus Christ... It doesn't mean that we go out and tear it down. 
I heard a lot of people say, I'm going to go give the devil a black eye and go beat him up. What for? He's already gone. All I've got to do is rebuke him. He's already been defeated on the cross. All power has been given to Jesus Christ and Christ lives in you. The enemy, the devil, can't do anything to you. So, if you want to overcome, you let God fight the battle and you just love others. But the enemy keeps beating me up, God. So you want to take on the enemy or you want God to do it? You want God to go ahead and wage that battle for you or you want to do it yourself? God, I'm going to go beat up the devil. And you say, okay, then don't ever go to sleep. If you think you're going to fight this fight without God, don't ever go to sleep. Because the enemy will know when you're asleep and attack you then. It's true. The overcoming life says, I am victorious in Jesus Christ already. I've already won this battle through Jesus Christ. I don't have to engage these battles anymore because they're victorious already. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me. So when we talk about overcoming life, it doesn't mean to go out and wage war with everything out there. It means that we accept the victory that's within us when we belong to Jesus Christ. And what is the victory that overcomes the world? Scripture says, our faith. These are fundamentals of living a Christian life. That's seven of them. I've gone over with you. If any of those sparked a chord in you and you say, oh, I didn't know that, or I wasn't sure that that was how that's supposed to be, or you need to know more, please ask me. But more than that, if there's any area in your life where these have said, God, I need, I, need, I need to get this fundamental right. I haven't gone to prayer, studying the Bible, fasting, uh, using the gifts of ministry and prophecy which all believers have. I haven't talked about words of wisdom or knowledge. None of that. Those are all fundamental things. But these, if you see anything in here that you have let go of, please talk to God about it today and say, God... I need to get this fundamentally sound again. Forgive me. Move me forward so that I can go forward in doing these things for you. This is what this message is about. And when you do so, you've churched up. Kind of a teaching message. But at this point, I'm going to challenge you. If anything of those seven fundamentals is out of the line in your life, that you bring it before Jesus right now, praying to Him right now, either where you're at, or at this altar, ask me to pray with you. We'll break off the things that, that has held you back and we'll go forward from here in confidence that Jesus Christ is leading. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, forgive me for not bringing up the fundamentals earlier, but thank You for showing me this morning that I needed to talk about them, to bring it forth so that we as a church are living out the life You've called us to live with full integrity without having to worry whether or not we are on the same page with You, but rather lining up with Your Word. Heavenly Father, thank You for this message. Thank You for Your peace. Thank You for Your grace. And thank You for this opportunity today to come into Your presence. Heavenly Father, if there be anybody here today that needs to know more or to find more hope, I ask that You would right now Encourage them to come before You and seek guidance 
I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.